Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Agile for Agilists podcast, the series made by Agile enthusiasts for Agile enthusiasts. And now for your hosts, Drew Podwall and Brad Nelson. Hi, I'm Holly Aker, and I'm applying Scrum practices and principles within my sales team performance coaching. Hello, Agilists. Welcome to another episode of the Agile for Agilists podcast. My name is Drew Podwall, and I'll be joined in a bit with my host, Brad Nelson. Today's episode's pretty cool. We got to sit down with Holly Aker, former colleague and co-worker of Brad's. Holly's really special and unique. In her day-to-day job, she's a performance coach for a sales organization, sitting down one-on-one with them and applying the practices and principles of straight-up coaching, which you guys know I get really giddy about. The cool thing, though, about Holly is that she came across Scrum on her own and decided to figure out how she could apply it into practice with her one-on-one coaching for the sales organization. So that's what we're going to talk about today, and I think it's going to be really cool because it's not a usual episode. We're talking about what does it mean to be a coach? Because we forget that. A lot of us call ourselves agile coaches and maybe we're great with DevOps and we're great with Scrum and we know design thinking and all of that. But how many of you here have ever actually sat down in a classroom to learn what it truly means to be a coach agnostic to agile? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. As a reminder, our website is www.agileforagilists.com. You could send us an email at podcast at agileforagilists.com. We've also got some stickers that we've been sending out to some of our audience members who've reached out. Please feel free to send us your name and address, and we will get a sticker in the mail for you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Yeah, so we're talking about sales and agile, and I'm rereading the paragraph because I'll be honest, I didn't fully understand exactly but it sounded like you and drew were like yes this is awesome so i trust you yeah i'm excited for this one yeah we tend to talk about software development specifically and we tend to talk about a team specifically so i think that just understanding more like the way that you're applying these practices and then i would just say a huge component of agile is feedback and learning and so that would probably be my bullet point is to just understand like how you're applying feedback and learning throughout this. Yeah, I, I, that's the part that stood out to me is we've had a lot of people on here talking about Agile and Scrum and SAFE and Kanban and Lean Change Management and whatnot, all focused on how can software organizations and developers and coaches leverage Agile and Scrum and other methodologies towards improving the way that their, their organization is working. But what you've done is like, on your own, you've kind of discovered, this is really cool. How can I apply this within my coaching as a model for helping the sales organization to grow in their capabilities and performance and delivery? So how, how did that kind of come about for you? Okay, yeah. So before I started working at Insight, I was an elementary teacher for six years. So I taught third grade for four years and kindergarten for two, and then I didn't want to do that any longer. So I found out about Insight, got hired as a seller there and worked as a seller for almost two years before they moved me. Like one of my favorite things about doing that job was I'm still a teacher at heart, right? So what really um, got me excited was helping others like be more successful. And I know that in the sales role, a lot of times people can be like, oh, well, this is working for me. I'm going to keep it to myself. I can never keep any of that information that made me successful to myself. So I moved into the sales coach role. But before that, I was exploring other 
other routes. So I started talking to some people at our company who are scrum masters because I'd heard teachers make good scrum masters. So I was like, oh, what, what is that? I'm really curious. And then that led me to the professional scrum master class. And I really loved it, enjoyed it so much. So that's what sparked my interest in the world of agile. So how did that kind of come about for you? So let's say I start a new coaching engagement with a new teammate that I haven't been working with before. I viewed the sessions as different parts of the events that happen when you are using Scrum. Okay. And it's not a perfect one-to-one overlay, but some of these do apply. So (laughs) when I first start a coaching engagement with a new teammate, I have what I call session zero. So it's not the beginning of our sessions. This session is just to understand and what are you trying to gain from being coached? Like, what are you trying to accomplish? So we we work off of SMART goals. You know, that's an acronym for specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, time-bound. So we co-create a SMART goal in this session. And then this is what I would view as my product backlog and the product being a more effective seller uh, or an effective seller. And my first session is the product backlog and sprint planning. I kind of combine those. So we create their SMART goal and then brainstorm, what all does it take in order to accomplish this? I put that as like brainstorm your backlog or your action items, and then you prioritize them. Like what, what is going to deliver value like first? So which one should we focus on first? And then I also introduce Kanban so that they can visually see, okay, as I accomplish this action item, it's moving into this column. Or like if I get hung up on this, it's in my doing column. And then if I need help on it, Holly can see that because she's got access to the board that we are working off of. We usually have sessions every two weeks, so we'll give them two weeks to go, go do the work. So in between then, though, is what I would call my, and I'm putting this air quotes that people who are listening on audio probably can't see, um, our daily scrum, which is just for us, I looked at as just a check-in ping of like, what are you needing from me? And I, we're like a two-person team here. Um, what do you need from me in order to accomplish this goal? And again, I, I know just by working with my mentor, it's not a status update. That is what the board is for. <laughs> so I want to notate that as well. But then after they've done the two weeks of work, we come back and I have session one. Now, session one is where I host my mini review and retrospective. And I would have them demonstrate your learning. What did you learn from what you just did? And so that was really important for them to vocalize that to me because I don't think that that's something that they get the chance to do often, especially working as a remote sales teammate. That's probably not something that they're just voicing to everyone. Um, And then that my retrospective question is, how did you feel about the process? What would you change? How did you feel like while, while you were doing the work? Is this how you're going to go about doing it? This was important and helpful because I had one teammate who one thing on his action item was talk to a more tenured uh, seller to get an idea of how to have better prospecting techniques. And he said, You know, one thing, Holly, I would change is I didn't take any notes in that meeting. 
So I'm just working off memory of what this guy told me. And I was like, oh, well, that's important to notate and to change for next time, isn't it? So I would start to uncover more things like that about how they were going about doing their work as opposed to the work itself. So I thought that was really a really great thing about like trying to implement these agile practices and like what I was doing. And then after that, we, okay, what's the next action item that will provide more value quickest, right? And then the process would repeat. So that's kind of how I decided to apply Scrum or Scrum Bond. Oh no, <laughs> dropped it to, um, to my sales coaching engagements. That's really cool. Actually. I really like that. That it, it reminds me of a more formalized mentoring or coaching type relationship that we would sometimes do as coaches with scrum masters or product owners. So it's usually more scrum or software related, but yeah, it, it reminds you of a coaching contract. And so I think that's really but cool. Much more structured, right? And so I was pinging Brad in the background while you we were talking and one, like I'm so excited to have this discussion. It's a conversation I've wanted to have for a while. The thing that really stands out to me and the reason why like the listeners should really be paying attention right now is, is that you're coming from this from an angle of purest coaching that just happened to come across agile and scrum practices and has now leveraged your ability to coach using these, these practices. And I think that most agile coaches, and I've said this before, you know, most agile coaches, they understand uh, Scrum and Kanban and DevOps and all these things, but they never sat in a classroom to learn what it means to be a coach. And they just use the industry title of I'm an agile coach, you know? So where did you learn how to be a coach? That's what I'm curious about, because you are a coach. Like I, I've, I've taken, you know, purist coach, I've got my ICF ACC and all the words that you're using are like super high level, like coaching phrases and words. So where did you pick that up? Where did you learn that? I mean, we had some training about being a coach and it's interesting because being a coach and being a teacher, like I, I have been focusing really hard on being just a coach and trying to uncover, I myself has, have also been coached. So I, I've taken notes from what my good coaches have done with me and how I've watched how they've pulled the answers that like are already within me out of me. But that's not always the case when you're working with sales teammates because they may need some education and then you slowly start to let them go and then they start to trust themselves and you can ask the questions and they can uncover the answers that they already, you know, start to have, right? But yes, I had some training at the beginning of being a sales coach, but I also, in my free time, I'm also very into life coaching. So that's something that uh, really interests me as well. Do you also do life coaching? Is that what you're saying? So I do also have a side hustle and I uh, coach teachers who are looking to leave teaching. So I myself have changed my career out of teaching. So when I can turn around and help other teachers like through that process, I do so as well. So yes. <laughs> so I, I took my ICF ACC certification of three years back now. And I learned so much. I was struggling as an agile coach because I really felt a sense of responsibility for the other person's success, my 
agile team success or program success or product owner or whatever. And, and I was kind of killing myself doing that. By learning what it actually means to be a coach, it helped me to figure out, A, I, I'm not responsible. I'm just a facilitator. They're the ones who are doing all the work. They're the ones who get to make the decisions. They're the ones who come up with the ideas. It's just my job is to hold the space for them and to ask them insightful questions that'll help them to get better clarity and insight and whatnot. And, and so I really love that you're pulling this all together, that you've adopted like Scrum in, in your coaching practices. I also think, Brad, this touches on the, the topic that we've always debated around, whether or not you need to be a technologist or a developer or an architect to be a scrum master or an agile coach. And like, I think that Holly is complete evidence here that that's not the case. Like you just need somebody who really understands the art of coaching. Holly, let me ask you a question. Would you feel confident using the skills that you had in a finance organization or in a medical setting or in the middle of a like software organization? Right. So my leader of the sales coach org, she actually, when she hires people in to be sales coaches, they don't necessarily have to be expert sellers to be a good coach. So you can still use some of the similar questions to get people to uncover the answers that they need without having to be an expert on what it is that they are doing. You were sometimes kind of a mirror for them to help them untangle like what they're trying to resolve. Yeah. 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 And, and what I love about your story too, is I've said this countless times, you don't have to call it agile to be agile or do agile or whatever verb we're using today. And when we asked you like, or when Drew asked you, how did you learn this? What you said was empiricism. I, I learned it from experience. And that is the heart of agility is right. Don't assume don't just make stuff up, observe. And what you observe, use that to project future actions or best habits. And so I would say you're an agilist way before you took the PSM class. You just didn't know. Yeah. When you say like being an agilist before I even learned about what agile was, being a public school teacher allowed me to get kind of in that mindset because I started to think of the events in Scrum and then think back to Oh, yeah. So my product backlog was maybe me doing my lesson planning. And then the sprint was me teaching the lessons over a certain like we worked off nine weeks then. So like I'm going to do my sprint of work of teaching these lessons. And then at the end doing a review and a retrospective, maybe with my my teammates or the other people on my grade level. So how did these how did this lesson planning or how did these lessons land for these students? I mean, you can also just tell just by the assessment of their knowledge, right? But then each time we did it, we were learning this worked well, this didn't. Let's improve upon this for next go around. Um, because also it's always changing because you always have a different what works for one set of students might not always work for that next round of students that you get. Being a public school teacher, you're always trying to learn and adapt and you're constantly inspecting your work because you have to be, got to be on your toes. 
Well, and definitely, yeah. you know, quiz test and grade scores, it's not the only metrics that or metric that you're using, right? You're, you're watching the students and you're observing them and you're listening to them. Like we always joke that the best metric in scrum is the angle of your lean in the chair. If you're leaning back, you're closed off. If you're leaning in, you're excited. There are some people who just have a really good intuition for understanding people's facial expressions and, and social cues and things like that, that you know, help them to realize how they're feeling, right? And almost what their thoughts are on the subject, because it's the, a person's thoughts and feelings that determine their action or inaction or degree of action that they're going to take into it. And like, that's true with students, I would imagine that you, know, you could see a student drifting off into space or you can see when they're engaged or like you could tell when they're frustrated or when they're like excited um, or when they're helping others and when others are being helped, like, do they feel like they're being treated like they're stupid or grateful for that? that other student providing them with some guidance. And that's inherent to being a great coach. Another thing I was going to add that I was thinking of, like whenever I was a teacher and relating it to agile is I would have morning meetings and looking back on it, that was one of the best things that I could have done because in that meeting, I'm doing a pulse check with the students of, okay, what's working. Even things that just in regards to how the classroom is running, we're having this happening. How does that make everyone feel and how can we change this and make it different? So having that open dialogue to have like a mini retrospective with them, I was like, oh my gosh, like I've already been doing this or in this mindset and I see how much it made a difference in how I ran that, that classroom. So being able to do that again now with my sales teammates, yeah, I need to do more of a pulse check with them. I loved asking them those questions of like, okay, what did you learn from this? And then they get to tell me, but then how did you feel about the way in which you went about that work? Do you like it? Do we not like it? I, I had one of teammates share with me too. He said, I just do the work. I didn't really think about how I was going about doing the work. And I said, yeah, sometimes it's nice to stop and take a second and think back about how you did it, right? And he said, yeah. I'm uncovering a lot. And I said, yeah, me too. Like when I started asking myself these questions, I uncovered a lot too. It's so like, it's okay to pause and take a second and look back of like, hmm, do we like how that went? What are we going to change? Or what did we learn from that? So I could tell it was very impactful when I started changing how I went about coaching the, these teammates when I started to implement some of the agile stuff that I was learning about. I've learned a lot about Agile lately, and I've started even in my onboarding class. I recently took a, a training on liberating structures using, you know, how y'all use like Mural or Miro. All I have is Microsoft Whiteboard, but I took some of those liberating structures and I already applied them to like I have an onboarding group, so I have a group of 10. So it's been great to like increase collaboration amongst these people in this class. So I was really excited about that too. Have you ever used the sailboat exercise before to help create vision? No, we're not heard so of that it, one. It's, um, you know, back when we were used to, used to being in the office, right? You would go up to a whiteboard and you would draw a picture of a sailboat and then you would draw a picture of an island and then, you know, you would draw a picture of like a sea monster or something like that and the sun and the wind. And you would ask 
the team that was going off on this new adventure to form as a team and, and create this new product or this new area of the product. Like imagine that you're the sailboat and you're going on a journey and that journey is to an island, right? And there's, there's lots of risk along the way and fear and, and, and that's the sea monster, right? And there are skills that you have that get represented on the boat, but then there's people that you can rely upon that often act as the wind within your sails. And when you get to this island and lay down and, and drink your first pina colada and look up into the sky, you're gonna feel that, that warm sun hitting your face. So who are we? What skills do we have, which is the sailboat? What's the island that we're trying to take this journey towards look like? And why is it so important that we get there? What are the things that we're worried about might go wrong or the distractions that we might have along the way? Who are the people that we can count on to help us to figure out how to keep moving forward? And then once we get to the island and we look up at the sun, how will we feel about what we've accomplished? And what will others who are now using our product or engaging with us or whatever that is say about us now that we've given them this new functionality? Creating a personal vision statement with a blank piece of paper can often be very challenging. But if you use like sticky notes and graphic illustration in that regard, you can find in Miro, Miro and Mural and Lucidchart these kinds of diagrams that you can then use with your team as well. But I feel like that would be something that you could look into that would be really interesting. You know, truth be told, like I have a personal coaching practice as well. And I started adopting some of those things from, from Agile into that. Um, Brad, have you ever thought about yourself as the product manager of your own product? You are the product and the product manager at the same time? I don't think so. Not like, no, we've applied coaching or we've applied frameworks and agile practices to coaching and a coaching team. So kind of, but definitely not to the level you're doing at Holly. Yeah. I kind of had this realization when I was going through my, my coaching training and coaching journey that I, my life and the life that I choose and the, the North Star that I set for myself is the product that is both me right? And that I am the product owner or product manager. I don't always do such a great job of managing my backlog and creating clarity within my backlog and um, setting the right prioritization for what it is that I'm working on. And that, you know, if only I could have a personal scrum master and that's what a coach does or life coach does for you. What are some of the things that people have said to you? Like, how have they benefited from working with you in this way? One of my teammates explained to me, like, I never really sit down and think about how do I feel about how, the way I'm approaching my work, right? So he said, this is good for me to stop and think back about this because I don't. Because sales is like really fast paced sometimes, it's like on to the next thing, on to the next thing. And one thing I added in that maybe isn't particularly, you know, part of the scrum events, but... I always made like stop to celebrate their wins. Like you did two two weeks of work, 
were there any wins? If so, like, let's celebrate them. Let's take a second and stop because life goes by pretty fast. So like, let's celebrate those things to keep, you know, the wind in ourselves, right? To keep moving forward. And if you had something that wasn't a win, like, what did we learn from it? It's okay. We're just experimenting. Like another thing I reiterated to them is failure is okay. I would love for you to have the courage to be brave and try different things though. So I always tell them the way I want you to approach your work is experimental. Like it doesn't always have to be perfect, right? There's lots of different ways to go about being a very good, effective seller. And I always try to reiterate to them as well. Don't feel like they have to sell like everyone else. Be your authentic self because that's like people buy from people. So I try to uh, remind them that you can be individualized in the way in which you approach it. So So yeah, those are a couple of things. Yeah, it reminds me of some of our conversations with Dom where you're teaching mindfulness. And I think even in an agile environment, we can become guilty of not being mindful and just going through the motions. And so Mm -hmm. I love that, that you're teaching mindfulness. And there's a lot of different words outside of agile that we could use for a lot of these things. You know, celebrating the wins is huge. It's a psychological thing as well. Stop and smell the roses, however you want to word it. So all these things go to, I just think, being a happier person in general. And those also make you more successful. So one thing I was thinking about as well is I'm also coaching them to be self-sufficient, right? I mean, that's how you're wanting to coach your teams when you're running a scrum team is I'm asking them each time, like, if they have something that's a blocker, right? Like we can work through it together, but next time, like now you've got a a way to navigate it, hopefully yourself. And I kind of explained to them, I said, I want to kind of coach myself out of a job here so that you are able and feeling more confident in your ability to problem solve. Not every sales, not every organization, sales organization, very few of them, I would say, have a professional coach that is purely there to just talk to people and help them to learn more about themselves for the purpose of becoming better at their job function, right? I'm sure there are some salespeople in your organization that have never had that previously in the past. What have those people said from a standpoint of having somebody in your job function? How has that helped them to become better? Have you asked that kind of question yet? Because that's a much broader question as opposed to what did they get out of it from a standpoint of like, oh, well, I was able to increase the amount of dollars that I earned you know, last quarter or something like that. But what, how have they benefited from a non-like money perspective, like from a growth perspective? Oh, so that's a great question. Um, I have also done some training with some of the other agilists in the company, and I took a training called Radical Candor and Appreciation Feedback. I've been practicing that in my coaching sessions as well as the appreciation feedback, just to start off, like what are two specific things that I was able to help you with? And a lot of them were saying, you helped me learn how to set a goal and reverse engineer and accomplish that goal. So I was really pleased to hear that of just goal setting and attaining something like that just in general, like working them through a process, a framework has helped them just think about, okay, I have an obstacle. It doesn't have to be this big insurmountable thing. You can eat an elephant one bite at a time. 
So that's kind of a lot of what I've helped people on is like something that they feel like is really, really big. We can take it and chunk it out and make it smaller, um, more attainable steps. And then they can still feel successful in the way, like even if we don't fully accomplish the exact goal, did they start getting into the behavior? Like they can do this on their own so they can continue without my help in order to achieve that. Someone in the company said, uh, I know when you're doing sales coaching, really just coaching around sales thing, but what us agilists do like is coaching to change behavior. And I was like, I would like to challenge you on that and say, actually I am coaching them around their behavior. Like they, a lot of them do not know how to set goals and how to reverse engineer to achieve those goals. Yeah, I, I think that most scrum masters, agile coaches can learn a lot from your story, right? I think that some agile coach or scrum master telling you that like, you know, here's how we're different, right? They're being very short-sighted and they've, as a result, they've missed out on an opportunity, you know? So have you ever used the magic wand question? No, no. I think I know which one you're talking about though, but, so, but please elaborate. So one of the things that I do when, when starting to engage with people and organizations is, you know, my one-on-ones with them, I, I ask them, what are they worried about? What are they afraid might happen if we start to go down this path? And then I ask, what are the strengths that you have or the people that you can rely on that give you confidence that you'll be able to figure this out? And then I ask them, all right, so on a scale of one to 10 with you know, 10 being the most confident and one being the least confident, where do you feel you are now that we're looking ahead at going on this journey together? And you know, usually you get like sixes or sevens or fives or hopefully not like threes, but then I always pull out the magic wand question, which is like, all right, you said you're a three, you said you're a five. If I could wave a magic wand to change one thing about this organization, what would I have to change in order for you to go from a five to a six or a six to a seven or whatever that is? And that question, that like set of questions there helps you to identify the thing that you need to work on with this person to help them to feel more confident to be able to step into action. Because now this is the thing that might be holding them back from stepping into action with high level of energy and whatnot. And that's a set of questions that I've used a lot. I, I love that. A lot of like that first session, like session zero, uh, where we're co-creating their smart goal, they come in and say like, oh, I want to work on this. Um, but we do, we, we are also trained to be like, okay, why? You know, doing like the why over and over again until you get down to the root of like what it is they're actually needing to work on, right? So, so not all of them come in as, like self-aware, right? But I, I love the magic wand question. I should probably use that uh, next time because that's another way to go about getting to what it is we need to spend our time on. Yeah, it's an opportunity that is often missed by most agile coaches. Most agile coaches want to talk about DevOps and story point estimation. And like, these are the things that we need to do in order to you know help your organization become more mature. And they forget that that people are people, right? That they're not resources. Like they'll say the phrase, right? They're not a resource, they're a person. But then they still treat them kind of like a resource that needs to better understand story point estimation or something like that. And the opportunity that they miss is spending some time examining how that person feels 
about what it is that they're trying to do, right? So if they're trying to figure out how to, how to hire for a new team and set a new team together, or as a leader, if they're trying to help their part of the organization start to adopt Scrum or whatever that is. All right, well, how, how does it make you feel to know that we're on the precipice about to go on this journey together? And you know, how mm-hmm. confident are you that you'll be able to be successful with this? Asking those kinds of questions to get, to get the feeling, helping them to understand that they have feelings about this thing, that it's not just some task or mission or mandate that's put on, been put on them, that there are, there's feelings involved here. And, and people adopt change when they're in touch with those feelings and feeling secure about them. And if they feel like they're gonna fall on their face, they're less likely to go down that journey together. There are a lot of coaches out there, agile coaches who get that, right? Lisa Atkins' whole methodology, I don't know if you're familiar with Lisa Atkins, but um, her whole way of approaching, uh, she wrote uh, the book called Coaching Agile Teams, Um, like an amazing book, amazing program. Um, and, And she's just such a wonderful, I like to say coach of agile, right? As opposed to an agile coach. But that's her whole concept is that, yeah, people on our teams and our organizations, they're not resources, they're people. And guess what? People have feelings. <laughs> yeah. You're touching on something, Drew, that I actually, Holly, you mentioned earlier that I wanted to circle back around to at some point is if you're in an organization and your focus is how do we adopt this framework? How do we implement this framework? How do we implement this practice, story points? You're not coaching. You're teaching or you're mentoring. And there's different stances. There's four main ones that we tend to talk about, teaching, mentoring, facilitating, and coaching. Uh, And that's the only thing where I could see, like, if you're not super knowledgeable in the area that you're coaching, it might be harder to step into a mentoring or teaching stance. However, uh, you had mentioned early on, in one of your descriptions, switching between those stances because sometimes people need to be taught and sometimes people need to be coached. And I don't think it's very often, in fact, Damon Poole talks about it, a lot of people talk about, it's not very often that we as Agile coaches are truly coaching. And so I would say it's really refreshing to hear how much you're coaching. And I'm curious if you off the top of your head could say like, what percentage of time do you feel that you're coaching versus actually teaching? Okay, that is so funny that you asked that because I actually worked with another coach on my sales coach team. Like we were working with each other to practice our coaching skills. And one of the things I wanted to work on, my goal was I want to spend the majority of my time coaching and not teaching. So I was like, I truly want to wear the hat of a coach and figure out what does that feel like? And I actually took notes of my coaching sessions and went back and, okay, so this one, I was mostly teaching. This one, I was mostly coaching. This one, coaching, coaching, coaching. And I did the percentages, and I think I spent 80% of my time, which was my goal. I wanted to spend majority of my time in my coaching stance, right, as opposed to teaching. So it ended up being that percentage was eight, like 80% or more. So I achieved that goal. So I was kind of proud of myself. But now I understand better that I have to go back and forth because it all depends on 
the knowledge base of who I am coaching. So I need to understand that first to see, okay, is it a teaching thing that needs to happen here? Or is it truly like, a, like I need to be a mirror for this person, depending on, yeah, just where their skill level is at. That's, that's really impressive. And I would shy away from having any sort of ongoing target for something like how long we spend coaching. Exactly to your point, Holly, everyone's different. Everyone needs different things. Um, but I, I think if you really boil down, you explain those four stances to most agile coaches, they're probably not even 20% of the time coaching, right? Like 10% maybe. And part of it is because we tend to be consultants. And so we're really living dual roles. As a consultant, you're brought in for your knowledge. And therefore, there's a, usually a lot of pressure on you to be more of a teacher and mentor. And so you don't have as much opportunity to coach. But I also think that coaching isn't comfortable for a lot of people and it's overlooked by a lot of people or they just don't understand it. And I would say that for me personally, I know that coaching isn't my strongest stance. Like coaching and facilitating aren't my strongest stances. I'm much better at teaching and mentoring. You know, Brad, to that point, right? We've talked about this before. Like um, I've learned so much from the old salt coaches that have, that I've crossed paths with, right? And um, the point you made about consultants, right? That's why we don't get to coach. I, I wanna counter that to say, that's not why, right? You know, I feel like I'm at a place right now in my coaching where, where I am probably like, I wanna say 60-40, but the reality is it's probably 70-30, you know, coaching to mentoring, to teaching and things like that. and. But if you asked me like a couple of years ago, right, it would have been like maybe 10%. And years before that is I wasn't coaching at all and I was calling myself an agile coach, you know? And I think that what winds up happening is like with experience, with trying on wearing the hat of remaining in a coach mode, even though you might feel uncomfortable with that, the more you do that, the better you get at it, the better you get at it, that's when the needle flips from now you're 60% coaching, right? 40% teaching, and that, that just keeps on going up and up and up. So I don't think it's really specific to the fact that you're an internal employee or that you're a consultant. I think really what it boils down to is, you know, how much experience do you have with, with asking the right types of questions in the right types of, of manner, you know, like, Holly, as you were talking about that, like what I was realizing and thinking about myself in the past like week, where were the opportunities that I could have coached, but instead I chose to teach? And there were many opportunities I realized that I thought about, like in hindsight, in this few moments, I realized I probably could have coached that one, but instead I went straight for it and taught it instead. And uh, I think that's where like being more cognizant and aware of the opportunities that you missed to coach something and ask yourself the question, why did I choose to show up in that moment as a teacher or a mentor instead of being a coach? And if I were to go back and re-coach that, what were the questions that I would ask instead? What would it feel like? What would, what would be different? And I think that by being more aware of those missed opportunities and spending more time thinking about, well, how can I make an experiment in the future to, even though it's uncomfortable, try to remain a coach, 
that's how you become that old salt coach that just asks questions all the time. Well, that's why I was saying I try to look at myself more as a mirror for them because I don't want to take away their opportunity to learn. So instead of them coming to me and asking me a question and I give them the answer, I took away their opportunity to seek out that answer on their own. Like I want them to be able to solve their problems by themselves. And they might initially be like, well, no, you're here to help me. But no, I'm here to help you to learn how to help yourself at the end of the day. So I see what you mean though. But yeah, a lot of times they'll ask me a question and I will just immediately put it back in their court of, well, what, what do you think? And they don't usually love that, but it causes them to use those critical thinking skills. So I think that's something that they may not see it as a benefit in the moment because they're like, I just want to get the answer right now. You've said multiple times now being a mirror reflecting back on, on them. And as I think about my consultant comment earlier, and even some of the, the reasons why coaching, I think, is harder is that it's selfless. You have to remove the ego from it. And we want to be the person with the answer. I think naturally everyone wants to be the person with the answer. And consulting, in my mind, is the person with the answer. That's why they hired you, is to be the person with the answer. And I've definitely had people I've worked with get mad because they're like, well, how have you done it in the past? Like, I hired you to, to, to teach me, essentially. And so that can be a struggle. But also, I think it's the, the easier and faster in the moment thing to do is to just give someone an answer. But to your point, Holly, that you brought up, is that the, the best solution in the long run? Is it the fastest solution in the long run to constantly have to go back to someone for an answer? Or is it better for you in the long run to be able to get those answers yourself? And it's really interesting to me too that you come from school, a school background, an education background, and you're making me rethink some of my preconceived notions on school because I am not really a fan of our current school structure. And one of those reasons is that I don't feel like we teach kids how to find answers. We don't teach them how to learn. We tell them what they need to know. Mm. And that's one of the things that what I'm hearing that I really love that you're doing, it's almost deprogramming people to stop and think for themselves. Be more mindful. Did I like this? Did I not? What could I do better? What not? You're teaching them to learn, teaching them to be in the moment. And I think those are really great things. Is Common Core still a thing? Yeah. kind of. I think that they changed the name of it, but it was still probably similar. So I just remember my ex-wife was a teacher in middle school. And I just remember that she, she felt entirely restricted she had to hit certain metrics that were not really valuable metrics in the school system that, that she was in. And it prevented her from actually creating whole people to their potential. And I feel like the analogy I'm trying to make the correlation is, is that the way of working that most software organizations have right now, Waterfall, right, is kind of like Common Core. It has a certain specific set of metrics that you have to follow, but following those metrics actually prevent teams and organizations from actually achieving higher value 
and, and working in ways that they potentially could if they didn't have to focus on those type of metrics, those type of phase gates and, and milestones and things like that. And as a coach who's gone into those kinds of environments, like to Brad's point earlier, sometimes there's a misalignment and an expectation that you're not a coach, you're, you're called a coach, but the expectation is come tell us what we should do differently, right? And not come help us to figure out how to become something more than we already are. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And um, see, I, and it's hard for me to contextualize that right now because I've not served in that role yet. Right. So, um, I, you are teaching me things today or things that I may encounter in the future. <laughs> so you never experienced that sort of feeling though, as a teacher, like where, where you had to teach something and weren't allowed to teach it past a certain point or didn't, as a result, you didn't have enough time to teach this other stuff because it wasn't part of the, the curriculum that, you know, oh, really is a value. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we have a certain like timeline that we've got to stick within and I hate it too. Cause sometimes it's like, we've got to move on even if, uh, not everyone grasped that concept. So it's, it's really tough. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of an impossible job if you think about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely don't blame teachers. It's the system that I think has failed. I mean, every, we all have a role in it as well, but I definitely think the system could be reformed or revamped. One of the other things that I, I will say I often criticize of it is that I feel like teachers oftentimes they grow up in school and they go to school to teach in school. And so all they ever know is school. And so it's its own industry. I know Patty thought it was weird, but agreed that I called it that because apparently in academia, they don't call it that, but it's its own industry. And I'm curious when you made that shift out of teacher to sales, did you feel like things were drastically different than how you were taught in kind of that academic world? Actually, yes. And I also was going to comment and say that I was someone who went to college for four years and then immediately went back to school, like as a public school teacher. So that, that was me. And so, yes, I was in that merry-go-round for quite some time. And I was like, so relieved to get out and actually work for a company as opposed to being in the public school system because I do feel like I have space to like innovate a little bit more now. I actually, I mean, I just feel very lucky to work at the company I do now because I feel like me bringing in new ideas or new ways to use things or new things to cover is accepted and encouraged. And I was like, oh, this, this is new to me. So glad that we're not just like, nope, got to stick to the basics, got to stick to, this is the only way that we do this. And this is the only way we will do this. So I'm like, oh, cause I do feel like the agile mindset is kind of woven into the organization. So obviously y'all, y'all did a good job because it wasn't very often that I like, even a senior sales leader would come to our teams and say, we're going to have like a, basically like a mini retro being the, a start, stop, continue meeting. And I was like, wow, 
a leader who is listening to what what's working, what's not working, what can we change? That was new to me. That was not something that I was used to. And I was, I noticed and I very much appreciated it. <laughs> Do you hear that leaders? All you leaders <laughs> out there. <laughs> I mean, I've said it before and I don't think that, I think anyone can learn to be an agilist. I definitely think it's something that you can learn. But I do think that there are some of us where it's just natural. Like we've always been and didn't have a word for it or didn't realize it or uh, not that we were perfect at it. And that definitely sounds like you a little bit to me, Holly, is that you were already doing these things and you didn't have a name for it and uh, could get better at it. But that was just kind of how you operate. And I would say I was definitely the same as well. When I started, I didn't have a name for it but I was doing these things in the factory before I even really understood lean. And then when I was teaching lean, I didn't know what agile was either. And lean and agile are very similar. So I definitely think that, you know, when we are coaching people or we're trying to spread the good word of agile, like it's a cult, but it's not a cult, we need to be more considerate of people. And so I think it's great that you have agilist coaches that are able to flex over and help you. But I would say, you know, give yourself some credit too and maybe even challenge them a little bit because learning is a two-way street. And I do, I mean, I know your company very well because I just left there. I do know that there's some very agile-minded leadership in higher positions as well that are really open to, to learning and feedback. And that was one of the things that I appreciated about it too. So... When I presented to the greater sales coach team on the way I applied Agile to my coaching sessions, one of the uh, comments made during that was, actually, I would challenge you to, like, we're not coaching to be effective sellers. We're coaching them to level up to this specific set of things that require them to, like, but they call it a, a level two seller as opposed to level one. So we're coaching them to leveling. And I was like, well, okay, I hear you, but I would also challenge you to think about how effective is different per each seller. So we can try to still coach them to leveling, but what one person's thing that they're wanting to work on might be totally different than another person's. So I thought that was really exciting to be able to think about that and like challenge her back and say, actually, we'll think of it this way. So I was already like, kind of taking a stance for myself, even within the organization from people who have been doing this longer than me. And I was like, well, like, let's just think outside the box here. And yeah, it can be totally different for different people. So I had this dream for a while that I just kind of let fall flat on its face to be a agile life coach, right? Because I, I, I played around with this idea of creating a model for for personal Kanban or personal Scrum and things like that. So much so that I, I, <laughs> I, I registered the domains, uh, theagilelifecoach.com, theagilelife.coach, scrummasterlife.coach, and personalscrum.team. And I may need to hire you to be my personal coach to help me to get that off the ground again because I feel like there's there's so like this overlap that you've created here is where the magic really happens, you know. So I, I'm I'm thrilled about this idea, this topic, this you know what you 
shown us and I feel entirely validated as well. (laughs) I worked with my own coach in the spring and it was just, I, I love referring back to this story whenever I'm coaching someone because I'm like, I myself have been coached and here's the ways in which it benefited me. But I was working with him and I said, okay, I want to accomplish this. And I had just been putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And what made me jump into action was just like, just simply having like saying what I was trying to accomplish out loud to someone else. And then knowing that they are later going to ask me about it. (laughs) Just like when you have like a gym accountability partner. Um, But I explained that to them. I was like, uh, there's there's some sort of statistic like when you say something out loud to someone you're like uh, or, or, or you write something down you say it out loud to someone you commit to someone else you're like 95% more likely to achieve said goal and lo and behold I did achieve the goal that I set out to do and it's pretty lofty and it was a personal one of mine and I was like oh my gosh, look what I accomplished just by simply committing it to someone else because I didn't want to show back up to a meeting with my coach and say hey actually didn't do it because I know he was going to say, okay, well, what was blocking you from doing that? And I, it was simply, I just didn't want to set aside the time to do it. But since I knew that that was looming over me, I surprisingly was able to set aside the time to do it. So just simply committing what you're trying to accomplish to someone else is, is huge. That simple act just actually can help you move mountains. So yeah, I also use my own coach. <laughs> That's great. I believe that. Yeah. I, I feel like our podcast was a little bit that way because we had a partner that we were accountable for. Yep. There's definitely times where I'm not feeling it and Drew picks up the slack or he's not feeling it and I pick up the slack, which is part of it. But it's also, you know, if he's picking up too much slack, right, I feel guilty Yeah. because right, I've committed to this. And so I do think that there's some of that that we've definitely applied to this side hustle of ours. But... I think it's also just great that you are applying, you're eating your own dog food or drinking your own champagne, however you want to call it. And we often say agile coaches are usually the worst agilists. We're really good at teaching other people and we're really good at coaching other people, but we're not so good at internalizing and doing it ourselves. So to me, this episode is a reminder to, to be my own coach, be my own product manager, whatever it is. Right, take control of my life, even outside of work. And that's something I've been working on. And one of the reasons I actually left Insight was because my life purpose became my work and I became work obsessed. And so I've been trying to find more of that balance in my life. And so I see that as being very relative to me right now. So thank you for joining us. And I will definitely be reflecting on that. <laughs> Glad I could help. <laughs> so this was a fantastic episode. I'm really like one, this wasn't specifically the topic that I thought we were going to be talking about going into it, but it was definitely the topic that I was really delighted. Um, and, and like, I wanted to talk about this for a really long time on this podcast. And I, I think this has been great. What's your website? Like how can people, if, if somebody's interested in being agile life coached, by you where where can they find you so i have a 
decent following over on Instagram and TikTok. So if they want to follow along on Instagram, it's holly.acre. And then at TikTok, it's just at hollyacre, A-C-R-E. But my link to sign up for coaching, it's specifically right now geared towards career coaching for specializing in teachers who are transitioning out of teaching. However, that doesn't have to be the only thing that I can help people on, right? Because it can apply to all different things, the way in which I coach. But yeah, that's where you can find me. I don't have a a website like landing spot at the moment. But if you go to my Instagram profile, I do have a link in there to my, it's called a stand store. And there's a way to sign up for coaching or if there, if some, somehow it's a teacher who's wanting to transition to technology sales, I have a teacher to tech sales resume guide there as well that they can check out. That's great. Cool. Well, thank you, Holly. I think this has been great. Well, thank you for um, thank having you for me. being a fan as well. Yeah. I mean, this was all because you were interacting and reaching out. And so we, we talked a bit about it. And uh, so, yeah. So thank you. And I'm going to send you stickers. I'm hoping that tomorrow is the day that the post office sends me my, my stamps. I am that lazy. I could walk 10 minutes <laughs> to the post office, but it was just easier to do it online. So we'll definitely send you well, some Well, thank stickers. you so much. Yeah, thank you for the stickers. And thank you guys for having me. This has been really cool. Have a wonderful night, guys.